Right then, is open, brains on. Let's go, it's time for a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name is Dan, thanks for listening. This is the smartest show in the universe. This week, we're taking a look at one of the most violent stars in space. Also, you can hear about a big rocket. Who doesn't have a big rocket? We've got news of one a little later on. And I've got your questions to answer as well. This week, they're on sleep, they're on toothpaste and uh, about sneezing as well. That's coming up. Uh, first, for almost the last time, actually, I think it might be the last time for a little while, we're checking in with our alien friends, N and G, and wondering if they'll ever get back home. N and G's Meter Motivator. So, guys, you know all about energy, right? No, we are energy. As you know, I'm trying to be a meter motivator. That means coming up with ideas about how to save energy and prevent waste. So, got any tips? Of course. You earthlings slurp up energy all over your shiny homes. Sometimes you don't even know you're doing it. If you're not using a room, turn off the lights. And make sure you're using energy-efficient light bulbs. They use less electricity and they'll last a lot longer too. And when you're not using a room for a period of time, like a back bedroom, turn off the radiators and keep the curtains closed. No point heating and lighting it for the spiders. In fact, closing the curtains is a really good way to keep the heat on the inside. If you haven't got curtains, maybe get some. Or make some. Keeping clean is super important. Just think about the energy you use. Have a shower, not a bath. It uses a lot less energy and water. You can even time yourself to reduce your usage even more. Can you wash from head to foot in under four minutes? Give it a try. But don't forget to wash behind your ears and check your washing machine to see if it has shorter cooler cycles. Modern washing liquids work well at lower temperatures and unless things are really mucky, they won't need washing for hours. And the top tip of all, watch your smart meter energy display. Keep an eye on what you're spending on gas and electricity as you go along. It'll remind you to try out energy-saving techniques and you'll notice if you've accidentally left something switched on. That's brilliant. Thanks, guys. And thanks for being a marvellous meter motivator, kid. Watch out. Looks like we're going to fuse, G. Time for us to pop. Here it comes. Whoopee! I love a bit of fusion. See ya, kid. Bye, NNG. And thanks. Here it comes. Find out how you can be a meter motivator with N and G. With support from Smart Energy GB. Find out more at funkinslive.com slash energy. It's question time then. I love this part. It's where you set me like a science challenge, a problem. If you've got a sciencey question rattling around your brain, if you really want it answered, leave it as a review for the show over on Apple Podcasts. Tilly has done that. She is nine years old, just turned nine. She wants to say a massive hello to the Bristol Bears rugby team. Hello to you. She's also asked a question. Uh, Can humans learn in their sleep? Have you ever had this happen to you, listening to a podcast or a story or something and you fall asleep and you can kind of remember what's happened? Well, that is a thing. It's not your mind playing tricks on you. Studies have found that a really basic type of learning called conditioning can happen during sleep. Because our brain, it never completely switches off. It's, it's always on at some level. 
it can remember like really basic things, really simple basic things. It can remember that because it's kind of aware, but it takes you a while to figure it out. It's only really basic things at the moment, we think. Um, you know, maybe playing a few, we're well, not playing full instruments, but a little bit of instruments, maybe a little bit of language stuff as well. We don't know too much about it, but we can learn some stuff in our sleep. Uh, here's one, a great one, by the way, from Sam F, who wants to know, is toothpaste a solid or is it a liquid? <laughs> I'd never thought about that before. But what is it? I don't know. As soon as I read this, I kind of, my mind went into frantic mode over the internet trying to figure it out. Uh, apparently, it's a bit of both. It's both, but it's neither. It's a non-Newtonian fluid, uh, which means it's kind of bits of solid in a liquid. When it's in a normal, when it's in its normal state, it's a solid. But when you put pressure on it, like when you squeeze the tube, it turns into a liquid. So the answer to that, Sam, toothpaste is both a solid and a liquid. And lastly today from Vegan Dino, who wants to know, why does pollen make you sneeze? A lot of it going around at the moment in there. When pollen gets in your nose, it itches it. It becomes irritating and your body gets confused. It thinks the pollen is a germ, some nasty bacteria that's trying to get inside, that's trying to invade. So your brain sneezes to try and get rid of the pollen, tries to flush it out. It's it's all about your mind getting kind of confused with pollen and with hay fever. Uh, thank you for the question there, Vegan Dino. If you've got something that you want answered on the show, you need to leave it as a review for me on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, there's a brand new book out. It's all about the heroes that have made science what it is today. Kind of the people who have laid down the foundations of what we talk about every week. It is called Science as a Superpower, My Lifelong Fight Against Disease and the Heroes Who Made It Possible. Uh, Dr. William Hazeltine is on the show. William, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Can I call you Dr. Bill? I think that's the, the official term. That's right. You may. Lovely. Well, Dr. Bill, when did you first figure out that you wanted to be a science superhero? I first decided that I should do everything I can in my life to help people stay healthy. Uh, my mom was really sick when I was a young kid and stayed sick for most of my, uh, when I grew up in the house. And I didn't think that was fair. So I first thought I'd be a doctor. But then I learned that science might be able to do more for health than even a doctor because it can help more people. And I love science. And so it really wasn't until I'd gone through high school and most of college that I decided to be a scientist, uh, a medical scientist. And in the book, this book is filled with different superheroes, much like yourself, Dr. Bill. Would you just run, a through, uh, uh, run us through a few examples of these people that you've written about that have used science as their superhero to help loads of people? Well, first of all, the reason I call science as a superpower is one person can really save the world. Let's start when I was an infant. I was four months old. It was during World War II. And I had apparently gotten very sick with pneumonia. And the only thing that could save me was penicillin. And I was one of the very first non-military people to receive penicillin, and it saved my life. Well, why was that possible? Why am I here today? I'm here because a British scientist, Alexander Fleming, made an observation that bread mold could kill bacteria. And from that came the drug, the wonder drug, 
uh, penicillin, which has saved hundreds of millions of lives, including my own around the world. That's one man making an observation that has changed and saved the lives of so many people. That's the first one. Now, today we're experiencing COVID and it's changed our lives in many ways. We have to stay home. We can't go to school. Our lives are really different. When I was a kid, about seven years old, we had polio. And in the summertime when it was hot and I grew up in the, in the desert, California desert, uh, I couldn't go to the swimming pool. I couldn't go into the movie theaters where it was cool. I couldn't hang out with my friends because of polio. That changed when two men, the man who discovered the polio virus and the man who first discovered the polio vaccine made it change everybody's lives. There's in most parts of the world, there's no polio anymore. And we may be able to eradicate it from the world. That's a disease that's so old, you can see pictures of polio victims in Egyptian pyramids. So that's how old the disease is. And two men, one who found the virus, one who made the vaccine, changed the world. Those are true superheroes. And there are many more that I talk about in my book. I'd just like to ask you a question about the polio, as you said, that you weren't allowed to, to do a lot just because uh, people were at risk of, uh, of, 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 of being at risk of that. And here in the UK at the moment, and it will be the same for many people all around the world, we're at the point with the coronavirus pandemic where we're wondering, how is this going to end? So many people here in the UK have had the vaccine. We still can't do as much as we'd like. Do you remember, how much do you remember, sorry, Dr. Bill, about how the world became normal again after polio? Well, it became normal because everybody, almost everybody took the vaccine. It was a general agreement that from politicians, from everybody, that polio was so devastating to young people in particular that we had to take the vaccine. And I can remember I was so happy when I got the vaccine, I said, oh, I can go lizard hunting with my friends. I can go into the pool. I can do all these things. And that's what really changed it. It's a little bit different today when there's some controversy. People are uncertain about is the vaccine safe or not. We didn't. We were so desperate after a number of years of being threatened by polio that we were just happy to have it. And, and it did end. It just, boom, our life got back to normal. And I can tell you, we were so happy. Uh, that that happened. And it, again, it's superheroes that made that possible. You write about so much in the book, not just real life human superheroes. I mean, there's talk about lasers in there. There's talk about flies in there. There's talk about Mars in there. What did you particularly enjoy writing about and learning and researching for this story, Dr. Bill? Well, there are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it helped me remember all the people that helped me on the way. I was so lucky that the first of all, Everybody thought science was a very important thing because we were in a cold war with Russia. Uh, and we thought that they might be ahead of us in science. And if they got ahead of us, that would be bad. So there was a real emphasis. And that came to a head when they launched a satellite ahead of ours. So our president and our Congress got together and said, everybody who can be a scientist should be a scientist. We're a little bit like that today with COVID. We know that the way out of COVID is science. And the way life is going to get back to normal is science. It's vaccines and drugs that are going to save us. And so again, that I enjoyed 
remembering. I also enjoyed the fact that every door opened for me uh, because the society wanted to help scientists. And that's happening again. There was a huge amount of money. So I went to university for free, which in America is a big deal. For your students, it would cost you about your parents, about 30 to 35,000 pounds a year in the United States to go to university. I got it for free. When I studied under the world's best scientists, um, that was for free. And they even paid me a little bit so I could have my own apartment and, and live. And so I really, and then I remember all the wonderful students I had. And some of them I'm still in touch with just yesterday. I had a wonderful conversation with one of my students uh, who has just discovered a really important way to help cure breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, and prostate cancer. Just amazing. And so it's, it's that kind of life with your wonderful people doing wonderful things to help the world. Now, I'd like a, a couple of tips from you uh, while you're here. You, you've done so much research into all these different science superheroes what is what have you found is 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 one superpower that all links them together you were talking about alexander fleming earlier on discovering penicillin when he spotted that red mold could kill off some germs not everyone might make that uh, observation there uh, dr bill is there something that you've learned through looking at all of these superheroes that might be consistent for everyone maybe something that we could learn ourselves I think it is. And that is to keep asking questions. You know, one thing that I, I have grandchildren now and I had my own children and most young people keep asking why. Sometimes you'll answer and they'll say, why? And you give an answer. Why that? Then why that? That's the root of science. Understand what you want to know and be curious and keep asking why. Just what you do. And when you ask why, then you get the tools the, the training so you can answer those questions. And the, the most important thing in science is to know what question to ask that the tools that are available can solve. Let me give you one example. The very famous scientist that asked the question, how do we inherit? Why is a tree make another tree just like itself? Why does a person with blue eyes make a person with blue eyes? Inheritance. Nobody had the answer, but two people, Jim Watson and Francis Crick thought they could find that answer with the new tools that had just become available. And they did. And our world has changed because now we understand something we never understood before. I know the, the person who figured out how trees take carbon dioxide from the air and turn it into something as solid as a tree trunk. That comes from the air. I, figured, I knew the man who figured that out. And there's so many men and women who've done so much wonderful work. Uh, for example, the vaccines that are now being used, the best vaccines for COVID, there was a woman from Hungary who came to the United States who for years worked on this idea people thought was crazy. She kept saying, why won't this work? Eventually it did. And now we're all a lot more safe. Right at the start of our chat, Dr. Bill, you said uh, one of the reasons why you wanted to be a science superhero is you wanted to make many, many people healthy. Uh, in your time being a, a scientist, being a doctor, how much have you learned about what we can do to try and stay healthy ourselves? Just something small that maybe we can take away from this chat. I would say learn to love exercise and do it all your life. Stay fit, 
stay in shape. And no matter whether you've got a broken leg or whether you're uh, feeling bad, try to get some exercise in because that's the one thing we can all do no matter where we are. Even if you're in your room, you can lift your books, you can do sit-ups, you can do something. Stay healthy. To stay fit, stay healthy. Amazing. The brand new book is Science as a Superhero. It's by Dr. Bill, Dr. William Hazeltine. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Bill. Now for this week's Dangerous Dan, we're headed into space. Pulsars are some of the most violent stars in the universe. Now a pulsar can be up to 20 miles big. They're about the size of a city and they hold more stuff inside them than the sun. There's more matter in there. It's got a bigger mass. Now, NASA says it's got so much stuff in it that, get your head around this, a sugar-cubed chunk of a pulsar, if you took a spoonful, it would be as heavy as Mount Everest. Now, that is mind-blowing. You might need to skip back 15 seconds to try and listen to that again. Uh, NASA says it's got so much matter in a pulsar, so much stuff, you could take a sugar-cubed part of it, a little chunk, and it would be as heavy as Mount Everest. Now, pulsars, they're not proper stars. They're what's left over after an actual star explode. Uh, And they spin. They spin at thousands of miles an hour, whipping round and round and round and round, and they let out a light too. They shine. But because we see the light when it spins round, and then it goes dark, and then it comes back, and then it goes dark, it looks like it pulses, which is where it gets its name from. And also, they fire out deadly blasts of radiation, bursts of energy, X-rays, gamma rays. They can surge through the universe and they can kill a planet. Now, here's what's truly mind-blowing. Even though you've just heard all of that about how deadly they are, scientists think that they found other planets orbiting some of those pulsars and they could have aliens on them. So even though these are the most deadly things in the universe, they might be the key to other life. Now, have you got your tickets yet to come and see Fun Kids Science Weekly live? It's in London on the 27th of August. It's a Friday. It's the bank holiday weekend if you're in the UK. And if you come, we're going to search out some secrets from around the universe. We'll do some experiments. Hopefully we'll see some mind-boggling, maybe even deadly stuff. And we'll have a proper genius there, an absolute science expert. So bring all of the questions. I know you send in questions to me, but think of loads of them. Think of loads. Come on down and you can ask the expert. You can come and see me as well. We'll have high fives. We'll have selfies, all of that lot. And you can get your tickets right now. It's at the Underbelly Festival, which is happening in London at the end of August. To get your tickets, head to funkidslive.com. We're travelling back through time now with the Age of the Dinosaurs. Age of the Dinosaur with Dinosaur Action Magazine, the number one mag for dino fans. Imagine going back in time, not 100 years or 1,000 years, but millions of years. To the Age of the Dinosaur. Welcome to the Jurassic period, which existed between 145 and 200 million years ago. At the start of the Jurassic period, there was just one huge continent called Pangaea. And with no frozen ice caps, sea levels were much higher than they are today. And much of the Earth's surface was therefore underwater. Uh Uh-oh, 
Something's moving. We better watch our step. During the Jurassic period, Pangaea began to separate. The northern half, called Laurasia, started to break away, forming North America and Eurasia. What we otherwise call Europe and Asia, from the southern half, Gondwana, that included Antarctica, Madagascar, India, Australia, Africa and South America. There's a whole new ocean. Lagoons and massive lakes initially formed in the spaces created by the moving land masses. Eventually, these became the oceans that we know today. The Jurassic period was much hotter than we experience today. With hot and dry deserts in the middle of the land masses, huge sticky swamps along the coast, and vast forests full of giant ferns and tall leafy green conifers in between. And all sorts of dinosaurs were flourishing, like the knobbly armor-covered Skelidosaurus. Skelidosaurus was a dinosaur which lived in early Jurassic times. Like his close relations, the Stegosaurus and Ankylosaurus, he was a herbivore, meaning he only ate vegetation, not other animals. But with his beak like a mouth and bony horns, he would have been pretty scary. Watch out for his tail. He's swinging it this way. Phew, that was close. Obviously, they aren't around today, but fossilized skeletons of Skelidosaurus found in England have been some of the most complete skeletons ever found, meaning that we know more about Skelidosaurus than many other dinosaurs. Paleontology... Today, there are seven continents on the Earth. Europe is one, the others are Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Antarctica and Australia. But how do we know that there used to be just one continent? Paleontologists can tell this from fossils and animal life by investigating land mammals on different continents but which come from the same family Scientists can conclude that the only way they could travel such great distances is that they originally came from the same place. One example is the extinct freshwater reptile Mesosaurus. It was a bit like a lizard and it has been found in Brazil and West Africa, two places that are now thousands of miles apart. The Mesosaurus would never have been capable of swimming such a vast distance. Age of the Dinosaur with Dinosaur Action Magazine, the number one mag for dino fans. It's time for this week's Science in the News. 22,589 people applied to be an astronaut at the European Space Agency. The problem is, only four can go. Uh, the ESA say they'll look through them and they, dis- they will decide who is going in the next year. Also, a company backed by Amazon off the internet, they're building a big nuclear fusion part plant in the UK. Nuclear fusion is how the sun makes its energy. And this plant will research and show people how we can use that power to make energy ourselves. It's meant to be a safer, carbon-free way of powering the planet. And also, lastly, NASA has built the first of its powerful rockets that will take humans to the moon in the next 10 years. Last week, engineers finished lowering the 65-metre-tall core bit, the important bit. They've put it on the small boosters, and it's the first time they've been together, and they'll go on a first flight later this year. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. 
if you can, come and see us live at the end of August. We're doing a big Fun Kids Science Weekly live show. I'd love to see you there. You can get your tickets at funkidslive.com. While you're online, if you've got a question, by the way, that you want answered next week on the show, if you want a little shout out, leave it as a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We've got so many brilliant podcasts over on Apple as well. You can find them on Google, on Spotify, wherever you get your shows from and on the free Fun Kids app. And Fun Kids are a children's radio station from the UK. You can listen to us all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com.